Hey, be seated. That's tremendous, wasn't it? Good morning, friends. Welcome. What a joy to celebrate the fact that Jesus saves. That's the reason he was born. We are celebrating his birth this season, but we know that the reason he was born, so that he might die, rise again, be the savior of all who believe. And that's the reason for the season, right? Thank you, praise team and uh, choir, orchestra just taking us to the, the portals of heaven and worship. I'm often reminded of something very scriptural. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul just literally goes to the heights of worship as he declares the truth of the resurrection. And then you know there's no break in the original text. And after he does that, immediately says, and now brothers concerning the offering. <laughs> I love that. Uh, maybe only preachers love that, but I do love it. But I want you to look inside of your bulletin. Just a couple of things I want to call your attention as we enter into our time here. Uh, of Advent and then a special moment this morning, you're going to see inside that there are a couple of important inserts. Uh, one does have to do with our Advent offering, and you'll notice the insert highlights that as we come to the close of our, our uh, year here, it's our desire by your continued generosity as you've done so wonderfully this year uh, to see us uh, finish this year in a good financial position and we're thanking you already for your faithfulness in that. But also you'll notice there are a few special projects that we have delayed for many, many months because of putting the emphasis and our finances toward the launch of Emmanuel Church. And it was appropriate that we do that, but now is the time for us to focus on taking care of our facilities here as well and some of the needs that we have. And so once you... Be very generous in your giving. Encourage you uh, this Christmas season as we come to the closing weeks of the year. We are in the closing weeks of the year to uh, give uh, a special offering sacrificially for uh, this cause. And I know it would be such a blessing to us as we continue to serve the Lord together and uh, strengthen the ministry here as we take, come, take care of some of these uh, opportunities that are before us. So I want to encourage you of that giving this month of September. And you're such a generous people. And I know that you will be generous in this as well. And then also the other insert I want you to see there has to do with a devotional insert for our Advent season. I'm grateful for Pastor Joe Kappel who's worked on putting this together. And this is designed to help you have some time of devotion either individually or as a family. Also a way that you could use it with a group at work or some friends that you get together with just to keep the focus on Jesus Christ and, and worshiping him during this season. And so this is available for you every week. I hope you'll take that. We'll be uh, referring to it during our messages on Sunday morning. It's a way that you can build off that time of worship through the rest of the week focusing on Advent. It's also out on the blog of our church. It'll be there if you'd like to access it that way as well. Now, one thing that's not in our bulletin this morning, but very, very special for us, and that is to uh, introduce to you uh, Steve and Alice Tullis. We're so grateful. Many of you know that um, for many, many months since the launching of 
our church, Emmanuel Church, two of our pastors, uh, Derek and Jared, went to lead that. And Jared oversaw important ministries in regard to our family ministries. And so for some time, we've been praying about who God might be calling to join on staff in that particular area. And we uh, have prayed diligently and searched diligently and then through some just unique circumstances, uh, the Lord has led us to uh, the man we'd like to introduce to you today, uh, Steve Tullis, and a person I've known for a number of years, and his name will be familiar to you because of his association uh, with Tim Tullis, that I'll let him tell you about, he and Alice as they come. So I'm going to ask you to just give them welcomes. They're going to come and share a little bit about themselves, and uh, welcome, Steve and Alice. Yeah. All right. God bless you and welcome. God bless. And I've got the microphone right here ready for you to go. That's a dangerous thing to give me right now. It is, right. Well, thank you so much for your welcome. Um, you know, I think I should tell you first about my wife. Pastor mm -hmm. Sam asked me to sort of give you a, a, a nutshell view of our family and where I've been, you know, for these years. And so to do that, I think the very, the primary relationship outside of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life is our relationship together. And Alice and I were uh, high school sweethearts and uh, we've been married for 41, 41 years. <laughs> and I asked her to share with you about our children. Okay, I have a raspy voice, so forgive me for my voice. Um, <clears throat> we have four sons. Um, each one of them know and love the Lord and are walking with them to today and we're, we're really pleased that they have chosen to make the Lord their, their Lord of their life. Jeremy, our oldest, is a family pastor in Fresno, California at a church called the Well Community Church. He's married to Julie and they have three children. Our second son, Ben, he lives here in Knoxville, has been here for 16 years working for a company called uh, Empire Construction Company. And um, he's a very um, godly person and purpose. He works for, it's a Christ-centered company, and then their purpose is to really reach out to those around them with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be an example. Our th and he's married to Aaron, and they have four children, one in heaven. And our third son, Joshua, he is in Austin, Texas, and he's a worship pastor and, uh, at a church called Crossroad Community Church. And um, he's married to Erica, and they have three children. And then our youngest is Tim, and Tim is a middle school pastor at Two Rivers Church here in, in Knoxville. And um, he's married to Jill, and they have two children and one on the way. So we are blessed with 13 grandchildren, and um, so we're just excited. And uh, you may recognize Jill's name. Jill Underwood was her maiden name, and that's Pastor Jack's uh, child. And so Alice and I have had relationships with West Park for a few years. And like Pastor Sam said, we've known each other for uh, several years. And uh, one of the reasons why is I was the one of the first children's pastors that Fellowship had down the, church, uh, down the street. And so that's what brought us to Knoxville some 20 some odd years ago. 
And I had no idea when we started our trek in ministry. I wanted to see the world, but I wanted to be in the center of God's will. And when it was uh, revealed to us that we were going to be moving to Knoxville, Tennessee, which we had never been, both my wife and I were, uh, Alice and I were very excited because we love the South. And when we got here, we found out we really love the people. But we didn't discover or understand that as we are on this adventure in our life in ministry, that uh, our children would fall in love with people where we are at, and then we would be moving away. And so we have three sons that have married girls from Knoxville. <laughs> and tomorrow, Alice and I are going to Austin, Texas to see our newest grandchild, which is nine months old. We haven't even seen him yet or held him. We've seen him over the phones, but uh, we haven't touched him yet. And uh, so we're looking forward to uh, going to Austin and seeing him tomorrow. And, you know, as I, as I wanted to give you a nutshell of our family, one of the things I wanted to say to you is this, is that family means a lot to me. I'm the family pastor. I'm so excited about what God is, how he's orchestrated our paths from the West Park path to my path. I'm excited to see what God might have in store for us in the future. Now, about 10 years ago, Alice and I sat down. It was way too late. We were 40, we've been married for 41 years. I wish we would have done this before we got married. But what we did is we sat down and we started to ask ourselves a question just as a couple in a restaurant. We asked ourselves this question. What's unique about us and our family? What makes our family set apart from any others? What is our ID as a family? What may be our values? How do we become intentional about passing our values on to our children? Because we found that our life was just getting invaded with so many things, and I just call them life, that the things that were really core in our hearts, we found that we were losing in some, in some of those areas. And so we wanted to become intentional. And so we wrote down a vision statement for our family. And it says this, I brought it, I felt the Lord wanted me to share this today. And it, what we said is, we are a family that desires to serve God by raising our children in a family that is both a refuge from the world and a springboard into the world mm -hmm. by helping them know him, Jesus, mm -hmm. and maximizing their individual gifts, potential, and calling. By passing down our belief and faith and family, as a heritage to our children and future generations. Mm -hmm. And as I stand in your midst this morning, and Alice and I are here, I wanna tell you that those intentions that we wrote down 10 years ago are becoming a reality as we see our young children, now adults, and all having their own children launched out into the world and they're having an impact some of you may remember my youngest son, Tim, who was the middle school pastor here. Mm -hmm. And now he's the middle school pastor at, over at Two Rivers. Mm -hmm. It's awesome to see how that they have, uh, both Jill and Tim have huge intentions on raising their kids in the things of the Lord. Mm -hmm. But it's not only him, but Ben is here. And it's awesome to see what Ben and Aaron, how godly they are. But these things didn't just happen. They, some of them were intentional. And God wants to do that in all of our families. And I have a passion inside of me that I feel the, 
the family unit is the primary means that God has used and desires to use to disciple our children, to help our children discover who he is, and then use that furnace of the family to, to really mature and, and to help our children discover what the purpose of their life is. And I'm convinced that the parent who has the closest relationship with our children mm-hmm. uh, can help our children discover God's journey for their life. And so I wanna do everything I possibly can to help support the family of West Park, to give you resources, to partner with you as we reach our children. There's hundreds of kids that come on our campus. Mm -hmm. And I wanna give godly men and women uh, the opportunity to support all of our families, to speak the same thing into your children that you're trying to speak at home. Mm -hmm. And so I feel so honored. And one of the last things I wanna say is that Alice and I really do feel honored about coming to West Park. We are internally excited about the potential of developing a close relationship with all of you. And I, we're looking forward to seeing, uh, relating to the grandparents in us. Uh, I used to do some uh, seminars about how to lead a biblical legacy in the life of our families. And uh, we're right there now in our lives, but we're also excited about seeing how we can develop relationships with every one of you. So after the service, we'll be out in the foyer or in- Welcome Center. Welcome Center, excuse me. And come by and say hi to us and uh, where we can start getting your names. And thank you so much for welcoming us here. We're excited to be here. Amen. Amen. Not so fast, okay, all right. Uh, We are excited to welcome you today, and uh, I just want to say it's a real blessing having known you for many years, but, and uh, your your testimony, uh, faithfulness for Christ, and the wonderful relationship we've had through Tim, and just, and all of your uh, sons, just examples of, of faith, and we're grateful for how God has prepared you. I truly believe with all my heart for this next season here at West Park. Uh, There's incredible, incredible opportunities for us to leave this legacy that you're talking about as parents and as grandparents, the generation to come. And uh, we thank God for you and we are honored to have you join us. And I want you to know, Almost every one of these people out here is a nice, friendly person. I mean, almost every one of them, they're a good bunch. And we will love you and care for you, and we welcome you with all of our hearts. And we're grateful for all the unity that the, the staff, the deacons, the pastors have had in this call. And uh, we are looking forward to what God has in store. Now, I, w- I just want to pray for you if I can. Would you join me in prayer? And Father, we thank you for Steve and Alice, and thank you for the, I know, the very, very unique journey that has brought our past together. I have absolute confidence in that. Thank you for that confidence from the Holy Spirit, uh, not only for me and Steve and Alice, but the rest of our pastors, staff, our deacons, recognizing that you've done something very special. Lord, we have prayed and asked, we have sought in faith believing that you would bring uh, uh, this couple that would be such an important part of this next season of our church. We thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. We thank you for the unique relationship that we have through this church family with the Tullises and the Underwoods as well. 
And Lord, we ask now that you will bless them. We may we be a blessing to them. And may we together just see you do great things for the honor and glory of Jesus and for the legacy of those to come. We ask this in the name of Jesus and all God's people agreeing said, amen. 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 Let's give them another great thing. God bless you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you so much. Now, if you have your Bibles, let's take those and turn with me, if you would, to the book of Galatians. Would you turn over in the New Testament to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, Galatians 4. Needed to set that aside because it would have been rolling down to you folks there in just a few minutes. Galatians chapter 4, we are entering our Advent season today. It's hard to believe, isn't it? And uh, these last few weeks are here, but what a great time of the year it is and how incredibly privileged we are to celebrate Advent. Now everything around you just about is going to talk about this is the Christmas season. And it is the Christmas season. And uh, if you wish anybody happy holidays, I hope you find coal in your stocking on Sunday morning. <laughs> because it's, it's Merry Christmas. We need to keep Christ in Christmas, right? And the way we do that is by also recognizing this incredible season as Advent. Advent. Now, Advent has two ideas that are associated with it. One idea is the idea of waiting, waiting. And the other concept that goes with the idea of Advent is arrival. Waiting, but not just waiting for nothing, but waiting as we await someone. Now the history of Advent's unique in the earliest days of the church. When Advent season began to be celebrated, it really was not celebrated around this time when we think about the birth of Christ. It was celebrated actually in the liturgical calendar to commemorate the baptism of Jesus as he presented himself to begin his ministry, as he had arrived to take up the work that the Lord had called him to do, and that was inaugurated with his baptism. But then over a period of time, Christians began to think of the arrival of Jesus in connection with his second coming. So Advent took on also the aspects of anticipating, waiting for the arrival of Jesus in his Advent, his second coming. And then, many hundreds of years ago, Thinking about the coming of Christ, people as Christians began at the celebration of his birth to also include Advent as a recognition of his first coming. And so Advent is about waiting, but waiting that has resulted and will result in arrival. It really is about hope. And I can't think of a Christmas season, can you, when we've desperately needed hope, right? Hope. And we find our hope 
not in elections. We find our hope not in our bank accounts. We find our hope not in the record highs of the stock market. We find our hope in Jesus Christ. And so we want to celebrate that hope in this entire month, these four Sundays, we're going to look at this same passage of scripture, Galatians chapter four. And I want us just to open it up as we think about the timeless hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Now Paul speaks about that as he's writing this letter of Galatians, as he's reminding these people, many of them Jewish people, how for ages they had anticipated Messiah's come and how through Christ they had been freed from the law and they should not try to go back into bondage if they've been liberated by grace through faith. And so he takes up this idea of how Jesus came, the long-awaited one, to bring complete freedom, to make us free. And he expresses it this way in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 6. This will be our text for these four Sundays. The Bible says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son and if a son, then an heir through God. Now it was a terrible time. It was a terrible time for an expectant mother experiencing labor pains to enter into a village where there was absolutely no room. It was a terrible time for a couple who were expecting a child at any moment to be on the road for days and days as they made this arduous journey to their hometown of the father. It was a terrible time for a teenage girl to be told that she would become pregnant with a miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit to know that no one would understand and who could possibly believe. Terrible time for a hard-working, God-fearing man to be commanded by the Lord to marry his fiancée who was expecting a child not his own. It was a terrible time for a taxation 
to require people to become refugees in their own homeland so that they could pay tax in a terrible time for a nation to be under the boot of repression by an occupying power. And it was a terrible time for the world to be under the rule of an autocratic dictator who was taxing them beyond their endurance so that the cash could flow to his capital city and he could keep under control the mobs of Rome with bread and circuses. It was a terrible time. But it was the perfect time. It was God's perfect timing. That's what I want us to see this morning. That Advent, what we are celebrating, Advent, is about timing. It's about waiting. It's about anticipation and arrival. Advent is about God's timing. Advent is about our trusting God's timing. Advent is about hope. Hope for people who in many ways live in a terrible time, a terrible situation, but they know God is in charge of the times of their life. And he can be trusted. That's Advent. And so this morning, what I want us to do is we enter into this focus on timeless hope. And that's the theme for our Advent here at West Park this month of December. Timeless hope. I want us to take a few minutes as we begin to think about God's perfect timing. God's perfect timing. Now, the text that I've just read to you here is about tracking, you're going to see, tracking God's perfect timing. Did you notice this? Look at verse 4. Tracking God's perfect timing. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Now, I want you to note in your Bible, maybe mark it, it says, the time had come. Time had come. God's timing. God's timing, we're told here by the Apostle Paul, who's looking back on the arrival of Jesus to fulfill the promises made to Abraham and the people of Israel. He says that God's timing was about the exact moment. The exact moment. Do you notice what it says? The fullness of time. The exact moment, the fullness of time. That word fullness there is a very unique word. The word there, pleroma, means this, absolutely full, totally full. You can't add one more particle to it. That's what the word means. And absolutely, the fullness of time, in the perfect of time, and perfect timing Jesus came. 
Now, have you ever thought about why it was the perfect time? Why was Jesus born when he was born? Why was Jesus born when he was born? How was it the perfect of time? Well, notice a couple of things I'd just like to share with you. It was a perfect time in regard to the government. Now, you might say, no, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not my kind of government. No. But it was God's ordained government. And it was a perfect time in government for the Messiah to come. Why? Because from Britain in the West to India in the East, from Germany in the North to Africa in the South, there was one rule, one government, Rome. And Rome at that time was experiencing what we call the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. There was peace all over the empire. There was a temple in Rome called the Temple of Janus. And when there was war in the empire, the doors would be opened. Those doors had been shut when Jesus was born. Those doors had been shut for 40 years. 40 years, there had been quiet all over the Roman Empire, there wasn't insurrection, there wasn't any notable warfare, there was ease of travel, roads had been built, there would be no roads like the roads of that century until the 20th century. There never was a road system like the road system of Rome until the 20th century so that the message of this Messiah could go all over the world. It was the perfect time in regard to government. It was the perfect time in regard to language. 350 years before Jesus was born, a Greek warrior named Alexander, Alexander the Great we call him, had gone forth to conquer the Middle East. And he had determined that he would take the Greek culture and the Greek language with him. And so by the time of Jesus, that Greek culture and that Greek language covered the entire known world. As a matter of fact, about 200 years, 250 years before Jesus was born, there were so many Jewish people around the empire who did not speak Hebrew anymore that 70 Jewish professors... Linguists got together and translate, translated the entire scriptures into Greek. Seventy men did that. It was called, it's known as the Septuagint. The entire message of what we call the Old Testament, the entire message about a promise of a Redeemer was known and could be read by people around the world. It was a perfect time for the government, perfect time in language, and it was a perfect time in religion. The Gentiles for 6,000 years had worshipped every god you can imagine, and not one of those gods had ever brought peace or deliverance from fear or confidence. And the Jewish faith 
had become lifeless. It had become empty in many ways. It had been covered over by religious formalism. And yet in the Jewish scriptures and still in the people of the Jewish people, there was the hope of Messiah. And so it was the perfect time. The world was prepared. The government was prepared. The language was prepared. The peoples of the world were prepared. But it seemed like the worst time. But it was the perfect time. And folks, that's where hope is born in knowing that what seems to us to be the worst time, God is still at work. God is still moving. And what might seem to us the worst time is often the absolute best time because at that exact moment, God sent forth Jesus on his eternal mission. It says, in the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son. Now you see that word sent forth? We get our word apostle from that. It means to be sent on a mission. That God sent Jesus on a mission at the fullness of time, just the right time, God sent him forth. And you know what? God didn't send him forth with crisis management on his mind. God wasn't saying, oh, what a mess they've made down there. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I know I'll send my son. That's not how it happened. It was the eternal plan, the eternal mission, and Jesus was sent forth on a mission of redemption, a mission of rescue, a mission of restoration. God sent forth his son. The worst of times, but it was the perfect time. The angel announced his mission at his birth. Don't you remember that? What was it the advent angel said? What did the advent angel say? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior, that's his mission. Not a teacher, not an example, not a martyr. He was sent as a Savior. A Savior for those who were in Sin and darkness. God sent forth his son. And Jesus lived out that Advent mission. He was always on his father's mission, wasn't he? You know, we don't, we're not really told in the Bible when Jesus really understood who he was. The Bible says that he grew in wisdom and stature. We're not told when Jesus really understood who he was. Sometimes we get the idea that the uh, the shepherds came to the, to the manger and then, even though it doesn't say this, the wise men showed up, you know, and the little baby looks at them and you can tell he already knows everything. You ever seen that? It, this like the look, it's like maybe there's a little star shining in his eye and we, we get all touched by that and it's a beautiful thing to think about, but it's not true. Jesus was born fully human and he grew in wisdom and stature. When did he know who he was? We're not sure, but by the time he was 12, he knew who he was. 
They couldn't find him in the crowd at Passover. And after searching for him for three days, where did they find Jesus? They found him in the temple <laughs> debating with the leaders of the law. And they asked him, how, how could you do this? And he said, well, why was it you were looking for me? Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? He knew who he was. And that mission was to do the will of Father. He said early in his ministry, I have come, my bread and my meat is to do the will of the Father. He said, even in Gethsemane, what did he say? Not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus was on a mission. And his mission was to accomplish the purpose and the plan of God he came forth at the perfect time. He lived the Father's mission. He lived trusting the Father's timetable. Jesus was not on his own timetable. He was on the Father's timetable. And if he must wait in a little town called Nazareth, if he must wait there and make doors and hinges and make plows and chairs and be faithful. He would be faithful. He was on the Father's mission, the Father's timetable. And friends, I want you to see this now. He calls us to do the same. That's the lesson of Advent. A lesson of Advent is trusting God's perfect timing. And that's what I want to spend the next few minutes encouraging us about trusting God's perfect timing. Living in Advent. You know, it's one thing to celebrate Advent. It's another thing, isn't it, to live in Advent. To live in Advent. Well, how do you, how do you live in Advent? You live in Advent by living some realities. If you're going to live in Advent, it means you've got to live in the reality of waiting. How many of you know we spend a lot of our lives waiting? Husbands, don't look at your wife right now. Don't do that. That would be inappropriate timing, okay? <laughs> now, I never have to wait for my wife. My wife thinks if you're not five minutes early, you're late. I think if you're five minutes early, it's a waste of time. That's how we work that out. But seriously, waiting is a spiritual discipline. And, and talking with Steve over these last several weeks. And as he and Alice have been praying, Lord, what are you asking us to do? He, he said, this so touched me. He said, we were hearing, I was hearing in particular from the Lord in my spirit, two words, wait and surprise. Right, brother? Wait and surprise. Wait on the Lord and be surprised to see what he's going to do. That's a great way to live. Wait on the Lord. He's always working. Be willing to wait until he opens the door. Today is the 30th anniversary of my coming to West Park. 30 years ago, this Sunday morning, I started the in ministry here as, as pastor of West Park. And before that, I was up in Ohio 
for seven years, most of you know, as a student pastor, really as minister of miscellaneous, because that's what youth pastors really are. And it started coming to me after a number of years, maybe after about six years, five and a half years, that God was stirring in my heart about something else, about about pastoring a church. And I went to my pastor, my mentor, Dr. Snavely. I talked to him about it, and he said, let's just pray together. I'll be praying with you. But Sam, wait on the Lord. Let the Lord do it. And so I can, promised him I'd be faithful. I would stay at it, and I did. And Susan as well. And we waited, and nothing. And waited, and nothing. And waited, and nothing. And waited, and nothing. And finally... One night in August of 1986, I got a phone call from one of the deacons of this church, and he said, we're we, think we, might, we think we're supposed to talk to you. I said, explain that to me. He said, well, we've had, we had, a, we've had a visitor coming, and this visitor is from Ohio, and, and he has a friend up there, and his friend gave him a resume, and he brought it today. And this morning, we also had a guest speaker. And the guest speaker came from South Carolina. And he has a professor friend in South Carolina. And the professor friend gave him a resume. And so the visitor came today with a resume. And the guest speaker came today with a resume. And the pulpit team got together afterwards. And we opened up the two resumes. And they're both yours. <laughs> now, I want to tell you. Even a Baptist can figure this out, all right? <laughs> you, you don't even have to be that much, charismatic. Because that's what the Lord knew Sam Paulson was going to take. Knock, knock, knock. But I could go into all the details now of how the waiting was so hard and challenging and frustrating. But God was moving and that led me after I'd been here a few months and we were trying by God's grace to see a restart of this church. Someone gave me a little phrase and I put it on a card for every person in this church to put it on their refrigerator or on their mirror or on their card and it just had three words. It said this, watch God work. Watch God work. Friends, I want to tell you, you need to be careful of a get-or-done mentality. You better make sure that God is opening the doors. Wait on the Lord. He will go before you. He's able to open and no man close, and he closes and no one is able to open. There's a reality of waiting. There's a reality of sending. Let me say this to you. It says God sent forth his son. There's a sending in Advent. Living in Advent is recognized this call to send. Advent living has in it the idea of Sending God sending his son. And don't you understand as Christians, we are also called to send. We've talked this morning about parents and grandparents. It's challenging. But parents and grandparents are called to send forth your sons and daughters. 
to send forth your sons and daughters. For teachers who have a a class that they love or a, a group that they love or a mentor relationship or a small group that is so close with such great fellowship, yet the people in that group are called to send each other out. See, Advent is about sending. We are called as a church to be a people of sending. If somebody asks me how I'm going to look back on 2016, I'm going to look back on 2016 as the year of sending. I read a book about a year ago. I didn't know the impact it would have or how I'd view it differently over a year later. It was called Gaining by Losing. Gaining by Losing by Pastor J.D. Greer in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it's about churches serving as senders to multiply the kingdom. Back in January, two of our pastors telling us of the call of God on their lives. And we agreed to send them to plant this church. We asked people to pray about whether God was calling them and 10% of the Sunday morning attendance of this church, 150 people went forth with them, sending our best. This past week, you've received a letter, if you are regular here, of a sending of Wyatt and Teresa Dockery, longtime faithful, godly members But they hear God calling them to a ministry. We're sending them. The kingdom is gaining. We're not losing. And God calls. He's going to continue to call from our midst, folks. That's that's what he does. We, We had a gathering this past Tuesday as a staff as we just prayed over Teresa and celebrated Teresa's ministry here and there were so many people that had been on staff that were there and we could see how God had sent them forth over the years. Living in Advent means releasing, sending. Living in Advent means the reality not only of sending but the reality of going. Going. What does it say? The Father sent the son. Do you think the son was saying, I don't want to go? Don't make me go. No, the son, who we know is the Lord Jesus, willingly came, right? Praise God. Willingly came. Christ was the sent one. And you know what? If you are a follower of Christ, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. You may not have understood it yet, but you will understand it now. If you are a Christian, you are a sent one. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. You have been sent. Jesus said, go into all the world, or as you are going, I'm going with you. I'm still sending you and I'm going with you. As a Christian, friends, listen. 
as a Christian, you cannot stay with where you are and follow Jesus. Jesus has you here on this earth because he's not finished with you. If he were finished with you, you wouldn't be here. You're still here. He has a purpose. He's moving in your life if you will listen to his voice. And you are being sent every day of your life. You are being sent and you are going. We're called to go. There has to be a recognition of that. But you know what there also needs to be? Is cooperation. What was it that Isaiah The great prophet Isaiah recorded in chapter 6 of his great prophecy. He said he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And what was Isaiah's response? Here am I. Send me. Cooperation. Here I am. Send me. I've always thought Isaiah's response was a little different from Moses. Moses said, here I am, send Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And as you read that Advent devotion, and I hope you will take it with you, put it in your Bible, use it. This week, as you look back over it or you use the blog, I hope personally and as a family or just as a group, you will read that and examine that and pray about what the Lord is saying concerning your being sent. The last thing I want you to know about living in Advent, it's reality of waiting. Waiting. It's reality of sending, releasing. It's reality of going yourself. And it's the reality of arrival. It's the reality of arrival. Advent is about looking for Jesus. Advent's about looking for Jesus, seeking Jesus. You know, there's a wonderful thing Jesus says about seeking him. What does he say in his word? What did the Father say? If you seek me, what? You will surely find me. The question is, are you seeking him? What are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? An Advent attitude is, I'm looking for Jesus. And friends, I want to tell you, looking for Jesus doesn't mean you're just listening. Listening for the trumpet. It means you're looking for Jesus. And I want to encourage you, look around you can see Jesus in a lot of unique ways. Jesus said, even as you offer a cup of water in my name, you're doing it to me. You see someone in need, you minister to them, you're doing it in my name. He said, I'm sending you forth in my name. I want you to see around you where I am. Thank God we are in Advent looking up for Jesus. My friend, because I want you to know, it is true, he is coming again. Praise God, he's coming again. And this time in power and great glory. 
King of kings and Lord of lords. He is coming. And we're called to live in that anticipation, seeing that we know he is coming. How shall we conduct ourselves with godliness and fear, with determination and devotion? And the prayer of our hearts ought to be what we sing here at Christmas time. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. And what a blessing to be with God. But now is the time to live in Advent. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to ask us to reflect on what the Lord has given us this morning. Dear friends, our heads are bowed and we are about to sing to the Lord our prayer. The prayer that ends the Bible even. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Living in Advent. Living, waiting for Him. Anticipating. Living as someone who's willing to send and release others, your resources. Living as someone willing to go. Living as someone looking around for Jesus. Dear friend, I ask you in this first Sunday in the Advent season that you truly would say, Lord, help me to live in Advent. Not just celebrate Christmas, but to live in Advent. And dear friend, most of all, I would tell you, seek the Lord. Call upon the Lord. For those who call upon the Lord, as Michelle testified in her baptism this morning, those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing this. It's a beautiful, beautiful hymn. And it's about Advent. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Let's sing it to the Lord.